0: This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship.
1: Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, the Google Play store, or on the Podbean app.
0: You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com healingpaths. That's paths with an S.
1: Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This is our second episode in the Hidden Trauma Crash Course for Business and Workplace. This
0: is all about how your workplace is just another extension of your family. So enjoy. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Hidden Trauma Crash Course. This is the the second episode that we're putting together for business owners and workplace issues. Yes. Um, We're calling this one, we're all one big family here. So I'm your host, John T., and I'm here with Jackie Jackie P. P.
1: And that title may be frightening to you, and it may be funny to you, and it is both. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. So uh, in our our first episode, we talked about how individuals show up in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, Individuals always come in the context of a relationship, and even more basic than that, they come in the context of a family. Yeah. Um, So we're going to talk about ways that the workplace can mirror the family uh, for good or for evil. And just what you need to be aware of to be an emotionally intelligent person at work.
1: So this will be fun.
0: Yes. Yeah. So let's let's start with, uh, let's define that concept of emotional intelligence since we're going to talk about it a okay. lot today.
1: Yes. How would you describe it?
0: Um, or so, define it? So I think emotions are something that all of us uh, feel, we all experience, we all re- react uh, to them and make decisions based on them. Um, I would say emotional intelligence is your ability to be aw- aware that you do that uh-huh. um, and um, to be aware of the specific emotions and circumstances and situations that are coming to bear on on a situation. So it's not just something that you feel automatically. It's something that you feel, you can think about, you can talk about it. Um,
1: so that you're taking... What I'm hearing you say is that you're able to take multiple perspectives. So you can mm-hmm. stand in the intellectual
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you can get the information from there. And then you can move maybe to the emotional and you can get the information from there. You may move to the relational or mm-hmm. the social. You may move then to the spiritual, like mm-hmm. you know the um, mission or goals, different things like that would be included kind of in that spiritual perspective. And you're taking all of those perspectives and then making a decision, or then deciding what's going to happen. And, and that would be a way of using emotional intelligence. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay. I think historically uh, in the business world, um, in the business place, although this is uh, shifting, um, you know, in the last couple decades, I think business has come become just about just as much about making money as it is about people developing and becoming uh-huh. their best selves. Um, but I think historically in the business world, we really have devalued emotion Um, and have talked about it as a liability rather than an asset Um, because it's something that happens naturally for us uh, it's definitely an asset Mm -hmm. and something that we can hone and um, make work for us yeah so um to to start diving into family dynamics in the workplace um i got a dog it'll be two weeks ago on monday and we've been uh preparing for like six months for this so i've been reading books um I'm realizing that uh, reading books is really different than actually training a real-life dog. <laughs> um, but one of the concepts I keep going back to is the, the author of the book that I'm, I'm using the most said, um, your dog is, is biologically wired to adapt to whatever pack they're in. Uh-huh. And their new pack is you and your family. And so we're going to take advantage of their brain's tendency to find ways to adapt, and we're just going to roll with that, and we are going to be really deliberate about what we present to the dog, Mm. so that it'll adapt in Mm -hmm. the way that you want it to adapt, Mm -hmm. not...
1: When my sister got a puppy a little while ago, um, you know, she wanted a puppy like our dog, and... um, you know the puppy was not like our dog and our dog was much older they don't just come that way (laughs) i know and so we were talking one day because she was griping about the puppy blues and how frustrating it was and i said bring her over for a day and let her hang out with my dog because my dog will not let her bite his ears Mm -hmm. right and and she was kind of snippy with the kids as a puppy and stuff and so she did. She brought her over. She was happy to have a day free from the puppy. <laughs> and <laughs> she brought her over. And I could just watch that process uh-huh. with my dog trying to let her dog know, like, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. We're doing this. like, And he quickly was just re- responding to what she was doing. And you could see her responding uh-huh. to what he was doing to her or Telling her is okay.
0: And the cool thing about those relational changes is it's not just for that day. Right. It changed like that left a footprint in that puppy's brain and things changed going forward. And it's the same way in our human relationships. Uh Um, There's some research out there that uh, indicates that uh, people's personality traits um, are developed Um, In part because of biology and in another part because it is the most efficient way to elicit attention from our caregivers. Mm. And so our personalities really start to form to the people around us Mm -hmm. so that we can get the connection and the attention and all of those kind of human mammal needs that we have. Yeah. Um, So in the workplace, I think it's important to keep in mind that this is going on all the time. It goes on with the owners of the company, between the owners and the employees. It goes on between the employees. It goes on between the owners. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody is doing this with each other all the time.
1: Yes. So it reminded me, there's this um, quote from the book by Leo Tolstoy, Anna Karenina. And it says this. It says, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Hmm. And I love that because, again... Looking at the workplace as a family Mm -hmm. right, and what's showing up there, there are certain things like it was saying here, all happy families are alike. Meaning all happy families do certain things. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that all happy families are always happy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But they're able to talk about, like we talked about in episode one, um, everybody, you know, you you can succeed and you can fail. Uh And that's allowed. Right. You can be serious and you can lead on a project and you can crack jokes and be funny. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets to play all of the different parts. And that's one of the things that makes a happy system. Mm -hmm. Um, And if there's a problem, we talk about it, not behind people's backs and not, you know, only to other people and not the person we have the problem with. But if there's problems, we see it, we hear it, we feel it, we talk about it. And then we make some decisions. In In that way, I think that's kind of what that quote was getting at is happy families are alike. They do certain functional, healthy things mm-hmm. that lead to overall satisfaction.
0: And I, I think a lot of the business owners that we consult with, um, they can get caught in this trap of trying to block all of the unhappy family mm-hmm. things from happening, right. rather than focusing on cultivating those attributes of functional organizations and yeah. functional, quote unquote, families.
1: Right. And and recognizing that functional organizations need emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. That's not something that they need outside of the workplace, but not inside.
0: Yeah. And there's there's this paradigm shift going on um, in the business, in the corporate world. Um, and it's not just, I think a lot of our older workforce like depend this on the soft millennials coming into the workforce okay. that just need to be coddled <laughs> and, and all of that. I, I think of um, what happened in our country toward the end of World War II. You know, mm-hmm. we had a large percentage of our working uh, population, our workforce, was overseas, not available to work. Um, and the government imposed uh, rules on businesses that said you have to cap wages. Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise, these businesses would get involved in these wage wars and workers would um, go all bounce over. Around. They would bounce around and nothing would get done. uh uh-huh. And so during that time is when we started seeing things like benefit packages mm. become part of what would attract, attract mm-hmm. people to work for companies. So
1: companies were having to offer stuff outside of just wages mm-hmm. to not just allure um, their employees, but to keep them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And
0: now we've seen that becoming a pretty standard part yeah. of corporate America. Uh-huh. Um, I think we're on the the cusp of another uh Phase of that development where we're looking at, int- you
1: mean that's not enough forever and always? Oh my
0: gosh, I wish it were. <laughs> um, um, I think we're seeing this cusp where uh, people want to, uh, s- w- when, when you look at the research, people are more satisfied at work, um, when the relationships are working mm-hmm. and when the relationships are safe and functional, regardless of what those people do at work, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in theory, you could have like the dullest, most like mind killing uh, product or service that you provide, um, if you have a great environment and um, people feel connected and they feel it important mm-hmm. and uh, like real human beings there, mm-hmm. they may not mind so much what the work actually is. That they're not entirely. passionate about mm-hmm. the work mm-hmm.
1: because they're passionate about the workplace, mm-hmm. which I- in theory, right, would also lead to more ingenuity, more creativity, and we may actually come up with a product that then everybody is passionate about.
0: Well, if, if you want to see a, a profile of a company that did this really well, um, Zappos, the mm, online mm-hmm. shoe people, I think um, in uh, how I built this with Guy Raz, I think he interviewed the Zappos people. Okay. And it was that, like it's an online shoe store. Yeah, um, And they actually don't even they, they're they're not at the top range of what they pay their people, but they've really focused on this emotional intelligence company uh-huh. culture thing, and people love working yeah. there.
1: And did I read, too, I think we you and I were discussing this, isn't that there a similar story there with Patagonia? Is mm-hmm. that similar? Yeah, 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 that was
0: another one. That, I mean, yeah. they manufacture high-end outdoor uh-huh. clothing, and their whole ethos is we're one big family but it's not that creepy like come join us it's like (laughs) like
1: oh no weird uncle joe (laughs) like
0: like we're a family in the sense that we are invested mutually in the outcomes in each other's Mm -hmm. lives Mm -hmm. um and we also happen to make this product together that makes us money Mm -hmm. um and, and pays our bills but really first and foremost we're here for each other we're this herd that takes care of each other yeah um so I think that's one of the reasons why um, if you're a business owner listening to this, why you want to look at this, Uh um, because I think it helps to protect and retain uh, your workforce. Um, I think it gives you a better shot at uh, getting the people working for you who you want, because you can, you can keep going bottom line driven. Uh Um, People will go elsewhere if they're looking for that emotional intelligence and connection. And usually the people who are looking for that tend to be more stable, less crisis driven, less panic driven. So you can ignore this at your peril Yeah. and then you can get people who really don't care about the relationships mm-hmm. they're in because they just need to make money. Yeah. And then you'll have that set of problems right. on your hands.
1: So I remember when my kids were young and, you know, you and I are located, we live in Utah. And so, you know, one of the jokes, I'm sure other states have it you know but one of the jokes in utah is if you don't like the weather just wait a day mm-hmm. because there are certain times especially when we're transitioning seasons that you can go from today was 80 and tomorrow it's 40 yeah and it just it happens like that and so in the springtime you know as my kids were going to elementary school um, it was one of those like they needed to take a coat in the morning but by the time school got out they didn't even want a jacket yeah. you know and they wanted short sleeves and so my kids were coming home and I was, you know, we were getting ready for school the next day and I was getting their coats on and sending them. And the, and the one was saying, but I don't like to wear a coat because then I have to bring it home with me on my bike. And I don't like and she was just like, it's cold in the morning and I want a coat. But in the afternoon, I don't want a coat. And I was just like, yeah, that happens. You know, I didn't have a lot of compassion. I'm like, <laughs> yep. Yep. Like it was more of a like we all go through that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and um, I said, yeah, that's kind of how spring is. And sometimes it's cold in the morning and you still need a coat. But, yeah, in the afternoon, it's really warm. And she was like she just kind of had this look on her face. And then she said, well, can't you do something about that? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, like while I am your mother, I am not Mother Nature over here, you know. And, um, and I just said, N- no, like eventually it'll be warm in the morning and warm in the afternoon. Like, no, there's nothing you can do. And I was just kind of like, deal with it. Like, why are yeah. you even asking? But, you know, I, I, after that, the next couple of days later that day, I remember thinking to myself, what is this generation going to do? Because I remember that same struggle in elementary school and I didn't want to be bringing my coat home and half the time I forgot it. And then I was cold the next morning. I remember that. It never crossed my mind to say to somebody, do do we have to deal with this? Mm -hmm. Is there something we can do about it? Mm -hmm. Like, I was just kind of in that generation. I'm Generation X. But I think it was more of a, like, and maybe it was just my family setting, but it was just more of a, like, there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. So why bother saying anything? Mm -hmm. And. Not that, you know, we found a solution to that. We never found a solution to that problem. But I remember being able to say, no, this generation may do some pretty incredible things because they don't just take this attitude as life's hard. Deal with
0: it. And then you die. Right.
1: (laughs) And they're saying, "Okay, this is this is hard. Is there a better way? Is there something else to do? And while I know that millennials kind of get this bad rap sometimes, because they do want to be coddled or, you know, they don't like difficult things. I'm also like, what are they going to create? What are they going to invent that's going to someday we'll look back and say, how did we live life without this? Yeah,
0: they're, they're a lot more emotionally attuned than yeah. we've seen before. And,
1: and I think that's that ability that just because I was the mom, you know, or I'm the, in charge, I was still able to look at that question mm-hmm. and appreciate the ability to ask the question.
0: So, so, this brings up an important part of family systems and and we're gonna we're gonna introduce you to some tenets of family systems theory. Um, this brings up an important part of that that there's responsibility at the top and bottom for this to work. And in family systems, we see feedback loops. Mm-hmm. This means how information is communicated, how feelings are conveyed. Um, the people who are at the top of that feedback loop, the people with authority with power in your businesses are the owners, managers, things like mm-hmm. that their job is to be open to those feedback loops yes um to to be able to consider um to be able to maybe even set aside some of their initial reaction and, and dive into what it actually means the people at the bottom their responsibility is to give feedback mm-hmm. um, and sometimes that goes the other way too sometimes mm-hmm. the people at the top need to give feedback to the people at the bottom um what we see when feedback loops are closed down officially, or there's not um, there's not overt ways that we can ask, is there is there a way I, I don't uh-huh. have to haul my coat to school every right. morning? Um, it's going to find ways to leak out. Um, that information is still going to be conveyed. That need is still going to be pursued. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's often what we see with like cliques and subcultures forming mm-hmm. in the office that's more of that need for the feedback Mm -hmm. loop to be functional. It may
1: show up like the person who's just always late to the staff meeting. Mm -hmm. Even though they know when it is, they just purposely walk in 10 minutes late as a way of protesting. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things you'll want to look at with the culture of your workplace, what's the nature of feedback here? Mm -hmm. And what kind of loops do we have? Do we have open feedback loops? Do we have closed feedback loops? Can
1: we be direct about it or does Mm -hmm. it have to leak out?
0: Mm -hmm. And that's often like... I know very few people who come from families where open feedback was the norm Um, and that's the way that it works for them. (laughs) Um, The, the families that I've seen uh, who, who do that have really had to work at it. Yes. I really had to make that conscious. Yeah.
1: Because I, I don't think, I mean, I think again, sometimes, you know, there's unhappy families, whether things are going well in society or not. But when we look at the historical timeline, We don't have a history in in this country or probably in any other country in which we didn't live in some type of trauma Mm -hmm. or some generation was being impacted Mm -hmm. by something traumatizing. And Mm -hmm. that's on a world or community or country level, not even the individual family, what's happening in that family. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think not surprisingly, businesses – just like families who get to this place of emotional intelligence and emotional IQ in the workplace really have to work at that mm-hmm. because that's not the norm.
0: Because what they're fighting and what they're fighting also, that not being the norm, they're also fighting this concept of homeostasis mm-hmm. where a system is going to stay where it's at. Right. Um,
1: it seeks balance.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and a homeostatic system that uh, is built on that foundation of work and intentionality, like that's a homeostasis and a balance that you're going to love.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, if that's not what your system or your workplace or your company is like, there's going to be some inertia to overcome uh-huh. to get the new homeostatic set point to move closer to where you need it. Right. Um, so we're going to look at uh, two dimensions that kind of describe how different Uh, Groups how different families work. So there's the, and this this again is from family systems theory. There's the access of family cohesion. So this is how we relate and connect Mm. to each other. And then there's the access of family flexibility, which is, you know, any system, any business, any family, um, the needs are changing constantly. The Uh environment is changing constantly. And so flexibility measures how well we're able
1: to adapt. Can we adapt with the unexpected?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so when we look at family cohesion, um, imagine this as kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a scale. Mm -hmm. On one end, we have a really disengaged family, Um, and then we move from disengaged to separated, then we get connected, and then we get enmeshed. So the ones on the extremes, the disengaged and the enmeshed, Mm -hmm. um, these are areas where uh, there's very little functionality going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk a little bit about disengagement. What does that look like? in the workplace?
1: Um, I would say, you know, disengagement in the workplace looks like similar in the family in which you have a lot of individuals in shared space, but they are not sharing and, in, in relational ways. So they're all there, but they're there as individuals. They're not there as a team. They're not there as a company.
0: They're working in parallel.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. When we get to the other end, when we get to enmeshed, um, enmeshed indicate, like, disengaged might, another way of looking at this might be that the boundaries are too rigid. Mm-hmm. We don't have ways to connect effectively. Um, enmeshed is there are not enough boundaries. Right. That's, um, that's where you might see in your workplace, like, um, everybody's in everybody else's business. Uh-huh. Um,
1: a lot of affairs are happening at the workplace. Yes. That can happen.
0: <laughs> um, gossip passes around like a cold. Mm-hmm. Like, the minute something is said, five minutes later, you know what's around the office. Um, there's this real lack of, I think in enmeshment, there's this real lack of what's our purpose, Mm. what's our objective and how do we balance the needs of the individuals with Mm -hmm. the needs of the group?
1: Well, and in enmeshed families or enmeshed workplace settings as well, the roles are not clearly defined Mm -hmm. and the rules are not clearly defined. Mm -hmm. And again, not that we go to the other side where the roles are rigidly defined And the rules are very rigid, that again, that's not healthy. Going to the other extreme is just the other extreme of unhealth. Yeah. Um so, you know, but whether it's we have none, we don't want to go to rigid. Mm-hmm. And if we're rigid, we don't want to go to we have no roles, we have no rules.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so in the middle, we see separated and connected. And I think these are two functional places Mm -hmm. to be. Um, I I think of here at our office, like the sign that we're open for connection is that your office door is open. Right. Um, When you're not, it's closed. Right. And there's that clear way to uh, communicate both that I need connection or I need separation. Um, And uh, you'll see that in in the way that we uh, engage together is that there's there's clear communication like we all understand what separation looks like we all mm-hmm. understand what connection looks like and it's those those two are, are places that are functional for the most amount of people here now you're mm-hmm. always going to have just like in a family system um, you're always going to have um, people's whose needs or personality are kind of more on the outlier mm-hmm. end of things I yeah. think that just nature puts that in there to keep it interesting right um, but when we look at uh, ways to approach separateness and connectedness um in a functional family system those ways to approach that are serving the Uh greatest number of people
1: and again you may have some people who naturally more lean towards um separateness and some who more lean toward connectedness um, another way of putting that, maybe some are more focused on how's everybody doing and what are the mm-hmm. needs of everybody. And some are more focused on what i I've got to accomplish and what I need to get done. Um, and to a certain degree, again, if we go back to this continuum, um, to a certain degree, minus two plus two, it's fine. yeah. and and I'm not separate to the point that I will not connect mm-hmm. or that I make you feel dismissed or I'm not connected to the point that you don't feel like you can be separate. Mm-hmm. But within this range, we can move and be productive and accomplish what we need to.
0: There's some real interesting um, observations in this, you know, this open plan office is uh-huh. the last couple of decades that's become really big. In uh, her book, Quiet the Power of Introverts, Suzanne Kane talks about how that's an ideal uh, layout for extroverts. Mm. Um, but introverts won't be able to get anything done and they won't work uh-huh. effectively. And so, again, with a separate connected, yeah. she talked about this ideal, like we have a big open area in the middle, an office space or, or workspace is actually fluid uh-huh. when I need to sequester myself and and buckle down, I can do that when I need that team environment, um, when I need to connect with other people and to be able to Uh do that fluidly, I can do that too.
1: Well, and again, I think that brings up a great, which she tackles in her book, a great myth, which is extroverts is the right way to be. Mm -hmm. And introverts are either the outliers Mm -hmm. or that introverts need to learn how to be more extroverted. Mm -hmm. And, and she kind of busts that myth apart. Yeah. Um, and again, we're talking about, you know, either one can be taken to an extreme in which it becomes a barrier to moving forward and mm-hmm. accomplishing what we want to. But it's within this, you know, certain differential point of, you know, minus two plus two, we're fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that brings us into the next uh, access, um, the family flexibility So on one extreme, we have chaos. Uh On the other extreme, we have rigidity. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, we have flexibility and structure. Um, So when we look at chaos, that's that the system is way too flexible. Uh Um, There's not a rhyme or reason to things. It's really hard to make any kind of expectation about what comes next. Um, Chaotic environments are really, really stressful. Yes. Um,
1: And I will add that Sometimes people who have been in chaotic environments a lot don't know how stressful that is. Mm-hmm. And they haven't picked up on that. The body is, mm-hmm. right? And it's registering it. If we were to test cortisol levels, if we were to test you know, the skin temperature, if we were to test all of these different things, we would see that the body truly is responding to the chaos. Um, but it can become so familiar that we don't see it as chaotic or experience mm-hmm. it as chaotic.
0: Mm-hmm. And so everybody's everybody's reacting to and living in this stress that they may not even be aware of mm-hmm. is there.
1: Or creating it.
0: Yeah. And when we get to the other side of that coin, rigidity, um, I think rigidity is just as stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, in rigidity, it's, it's more about the rules and the norms and that we follow those at all costs, even if the situation calls for something different. Yeah. Um, I've worked in places before uh, where... It seemed like every week there was a new memo or update to the employee <laughs> handbook, or this is how we're gonna do things. And I remember thinking, um, in in one place in particular, um, things that really didn't have to do with me because I could figure it out or I could adapt. Mm. Um, there was this every time one of these came back, one of these emails came out that was an, an adaptation. This is how we're gonna do it. Like everybody had to respond and agree to it. Okay. And it got to a point where I was like really like, I feel like I have common sense. Uh Um, and I, I felt like I spent, you know, a quarter of my day buried in what are they wanting from me and what does this have to look like? And if I'm going to agree to this, can I actually agree to this? Uh Um, way too much rigidity for the, the task at hand to actually get done.
1: Well, and I've worked in environments as well in which it seemed like we were just having rules because we, everybody loved rules. Uh huh. And there were times, you know, I might say to a coworker or something like, is it just me? Or when you get all of these memos, do you read it in a voice that's yelling at you, <laughs> right? Like it's just a piece of paper or even, it's just an email. But for some reason, when I'm yelling it or when I'm reading it, this person is yelling at me, like yeah. all of the exclamation points, all of the caps, you know? And and yeah, I remember, you know, once when it came out and we had rules about the shelves in the fridge and and i was just like <laughs> I, I gotta get out of here like this is not it's
0: time for jackie to go and i never
1: could I it, you know it's one of those work environments i knew i couldn't say anything yeah because a it wasn't going to change and b then i'd be blacklisted right so it was just like i gotta go because when we're assigning places in the fridge for your lunch i'm out <laughs>
0: Um so in the middle where we have flexibility and structure again is that being able to move between this flexible adapt mm-hmm. adaptability and this when we need it when it's time we can put the structure in place that helps yes. get us through.
1: Which again and we recently experienced this here at work. We were thrown a curveball and we were not expecting it. And we spent several hours as a staff talking about it, some of us freaking out about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um and really letting ourselves feel it and talk about all of the different angles of it. And then we could start saying, okay, what are we gonna do? Where do we need to move? Mm-hmm. But we had gone through and looked at the emotional piece, the physical piece, all of those various pieces we'd been able to look at before we started talking about what's the structure? Yeah. How do we respond to this, right? So again, when you're thrown a curveball, when something comes at you that you really were not expecting, It's gonna have an impact on you, Mm -hmm. and that's fine. We're not saying that you can get so good at this that it doesn't throw you. Yeah. But can we talk about it? Can we vent? Can we, you know, do whatever we need to move with it, and then create a plan, and then create, you know, okay, what are we doing? How do we respond? What's best for us? Instead, I think sometimes um, in rigid environments, you tend to have a a a trigger reaction and it usually was not well thought out yeah. and if it's played out in the media at all, it did not go well. And then you're having to do Plan B.
0: Some research from the early 2000s, because uh, the the kind of therapy that Jackie and I primarily do is addiction work. In the mm-hmm. early 2000s, there was a study where it looked at family systems and um, addiction, and something like 83% of people addicted to sex came from rigid, disengaged families. Uh-huh. And when I when I look at that in the context of the workplace, like addiction is a way to keep a second set of books and get needs met Uh where the environment doesn't provide for that. Um, And so if you're seeing some of that in your workplace, if you're seeing some of that in your company, you might want to look at the level of rigidity and the Mm -hmm. level of disengagement Mm -hmm. um, that's going on. And that's not to say that that's going to fix any problems for for everybody in your company, but it's certainly a cultural place to look. Are we in an environment that encourages this? Secret life, separate set of books.
1: Well, and and I will add that for most of our clients that we work through the addiction pieces with, um, I mean, it's it's part of how we started getting involved with the business consulting mm-hmm. is because we were seeing various types of acting out behaviors. You know, mm-hmm. it may not have been drug use at the workplace, or it may not have been sexual acting out at the workplace, but their addictive lifestyle was definitely mm-hmm. showing up at work and impacting people around them. And that's kind of how we got into this and started being able to talk to companies and saying, hey, we think we can offer some things and mm-hmm. adjust some things at work so that it's working better for everybody, mm-hmm. not just our individual client.
0: It was it was amazing in some of those um, how how quickly the uh, supervisors and bosses we were talking to started to experience mm-hmm. relief as we talked mm-hmm. about this is what this individual is bringing in, and this is how your company culture is supporting that. Yes. Um. And and
1: it clicked. I mean, they mm-hmm. got it really. Like they didn't have to go. You know. Get a degree to do therapy like it clicked they they didn't have the language maybe or the understanding but once we were offering that they knew all the pieces kind of fit together and they were really willing to work with us yeah
0: yeah so uh it's time to wrap up this episode we're uh thank you for listening and if you found this useful um please reach out to us uh this is going to be uh, we're, we're housing this on a, a larger website so you can contact us through that website or you can ma- email jackie.healingpaths at gmail.com if you want more information
1: that's path with an and also please feel free to share on social media sites or with those that you know struggle with workplace issues this podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy nor should it replace competent professional help
0: at the end of another episode we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection we are pursuing progress
1: and remember the prayer of the perfectionist help me remember i can't do it all Help me to take things one step at a time, and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me.
0: Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.